This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, it's Thursday the 9th of November. I'm Alex von Tanzelman and I'm thrilled that the actor's strike is ending so we'll all be able to attend glitzy Hollywood premieres again. My invitations must be just held up in the post. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review. Every weekday we skip through the papers as if we were Theresa May and they were a field of wheat, gathering armfuls of flowers to sprinkle before you. Tiptoe through the tulips of the Telegraph. Gamble through the gladioli of the Guardian. Shimmy through the snowdrops of the star who photoshopped in Rishi Sunak as Biggles flying a private jet and Vladimir Putin's face on a hungry, hungry caterpillar. Look, it's a really great paper, okay? They know what they're doing. <laughs> Let them have their moment. We're out five days a week for your listening joy. If you'd like to help us keep going and get cool stuff for yourself, then why not join the Papercuts Supporters Club? Just visit back.papercutsshow.com. That's back.papercutsshow, two S's in the middle, dot com to find out how. There's a link in the show notes. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. Whoever wins, we lose. Tory civil war intensifies as Suella Braverman all but dares Rishi Sunak to sack her. We don't work anymore. Office space behemoth WeWork collapses in what the FT calls one of the worst venture capital investments in history. Oh, no. And lush ladies, British women are the top drinkers in the world. Go girls. Cheers. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, plucking a fragrant bouquet from amid the stinkweed. I'm Alex von Tunzelman, and joining me on the show today is journalist and hardy perennial John Elledge. Hello. Is this because I'm wearing green? <laughs> it certainly <laughs> is. Very eco-friendly of you. And also with us is comedian and indelicate flower, Gronya Maguire. Hello. I feel like I'm in a Febreze ad. I feel like I can just smell flowers. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I aim for. So, what's on the front pages today? John, what have we got? The Guardian has the uh, the Labour civil war. Starmer fights to control party as shadow ministers threaten to quit. That's over the leader's refusal to call for a girl's ceasefire. The Daily Telegraph has gone its own way. It's got AstraZeneca to be sued over defective vaccine. Oh. The Eye and The Times both have one of the day's big stories. The Eye has Tories accused Home Secretary of fueling UK far-right anger. The Times says Brotherman brands met biased over Gaza March uh, and they also have the column that's causing all the trouble. I think we're going to come back to the Tory civil war shortly. Certainly are. And Gronia, what have you got for us? So on the front cover of The Sun, they have the headline, Where Have All the Poppies Gone? Which I think... Long time passing. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, are are you supposed to say it to the tune of Who Let the Dogs Out? So, uh, obviously, a very important story. Then uh, in the Daily Mirror, first of all, they've got two of our favourite royal ladies, Kate Middleton in a little, like, private Benjamin outfit. Yes, she's on a few of the front pages today in her combat gear with a poppy. Yeah, with a poppy, of course. It's the poppy camouflage. (laughs) 
I mean, just a bit, bit of a target. Isn't it is, it? Yeah. 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 It's like uh, army fatigues aren't enough to show her support for the armed troops. Okay. She has to Poppy show. Poppy as well. Yeah, Poppy as well. Then my icon, the Duchess of York, there's a picture of her. It's got to do with rumours she may be taking over from Holly Willoughby. Oh. On the nation's couch. Um, and then their lead story is the very sad story of a 15-year-old who was killed in a knife attack with the headline, Why? Then in the Daily Mail, we've got Camo Kate. So another picture of Kate. I mean, looking, I'm just going to say quite unhinged. It's a, bit of, it's a bit of a face, isn't it? <laughs> she yeah. is. But then the the main headline is uh, PM tells Met Chief on your head be it. So that's about the uh, the brouhaha over a anti-war protest maybe causing problems with the remembrance events. Then in the Daily Star, once again, covering the big stories, other newspapers are too afraid to go near... I've found Bigfoot and he's in Wales. Amazing. Well, you know, important as that is, sorry to leave Bigfoot aside for now, but can we just talk about the poppy thing, John? This is one of your faves, isn't it? So, yeah, the sun, where have all the poppies gone? It's worried about no sellers at stations amid fears of attack. Now, amid is a great journalistic word. (laughs) It's like, you know, because it basically means happening at the same time as. I don't think they've actually got any evidence that the reason that it's harder to buy a poppy this year is because people are genuinely worried they're going to get beaten up by by pro-Palestinian protesters. It it, it feels to me like we've kind of gone through a natural cycle with this stuff where it went really crazy for a few years as the war generation were kind of passing into history. Mm. And now it's kind of a bit too far into the past. Like we don't still sort of commemorate the victims of the Napoleonic Wars Mm. or the Seven Years' War or the Norman Conquest. Mm -hmm. Those are just things that happened. And it kind of feels like we were always going to get to a point with Remembrance Day where the World Wars are also kind of moving into sort of history rather than like, you know, living memory. And I just wonder if we've got to that and the the tabloids are having a shit fit about it. Yeah, I mean, well, they are pretty notorious for doing that, aren't they? It seems that there's a, you know, a sort of new poppy madness story every year now. Yeah, no, it is a it is a regular theme. But even then, like, I, I was the New Statesman's web editor in 2019, and there were weeks of this stuff. Oh, we got so, but we got we got so much traffic out of decrying the fact there was weeks of this stuff. It was this huge culture war issue. It's become a symbol of not wanting to kind of contribute to the upkeep of of you know the survivors of a war or kind of remember the victims. It has become this culture war symbol. They've kind of like they've made it a sort of right wing symbol rather than a sort of an apolitical one. Yeah, I mean. It was supposed to be kind of fairly critical of war initially, right? Well, yeah. So it came out of World War One, and it was 1919. It was a moment in history where everyone had lost someone in that war. Everyone had probably lost a few people. So it was a sort of shared national experience, and it just isn't that anymore. And wasn't the whole point of World War One like never again? Like this was a bad idea. We didn't enjoy it. Rather than our war is brilliant, and it feels like it's sort of been rebranded away from what was originally intended. Now, Poppy Madness might be an annual event, but this year there is another controversy around Armistice Day particularly. Both the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, and the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, have called for a London protest march calling for a ceasefire in Gaza this Saturday to be banned because it coincides with the Remembrance Commemorations. Yet though the PM and the Home Secretary might appear to be in agreement on this, what it's revealed is that they're not exactly on the same side, are they, John? 
So what's happened is Stella Braverman has this column in The Times under the headline, Police Must Be Even-Handed With Protests. This feels like an unlikely statement because right-thinking people may think this happened some time ago. But there does seem to be a consensus this morning that on this occasion, Suella Braverman has finally gone too far. <laughs> she has not just suggested that the protests calling for, for a ceasefire in Gaza are inherently pro-terrorist, which is slightly citation needed. Mm-hmm. In doing so, she has also undermined the police and sort of attacked the people of Northern Ireland. <laughs> came out of left field. Yeah. No, there's... So, like, I do not believe that these marches are merely cry for help for Gaza. They're an assertion of primacy by certain groups, particularly Islamists, of the kind we are more used to seeing in Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland, of course, being a, a hub of Islamist activity. <laughs> I mean, what is that supposed to mean? Gronier is our resident Irish expert. Could yeah. You, could you unpick that for us? I mean, it's weird. I don't remember ISIS, Hamas... <laughs> As being such a big part of the Troubles. (laughs) (laughs) Just it's so bizarre. I feel like Suella Braverman's speeches now are, you know, those poems you write in magnets on fridges. Right. No connection to reality or the topic whatsoever. It's just like a word cloud of Daily Mail readers comments. That yeah. get collated into a script and then she says. The Home Secretary claims that Downing Street did see the copy in advance. I think they've said this morning that they, they made a few changes. There, there is, <laughs> what was it like before? <laughs> this is a big oh, question. God. I'm genuinely wondering if they deliberately made it worse to screw her over. <laughs> I don't think we can rule this out. But like it feels like she's overstepped the mark because like it's one thing to be attacking, you know, left wing liberal thought in this country if you want to be leader of the Tory party. I think attacking the Metropolitan Police. Yeah, <laughs> Who are not known as for their left-wing sympathies, so let's be honest. <laughs> um, let alone like one of the four constituent countries of the United Kingdom is maybe a slightly different thing. I mean, there is a theory that she's she's like basically daring the Prime Minister to sack her so she can start her leadership campaign. What I am not clear on is why why he can't go further than that. Sack her, remove the whip, and just mm. sort of dare the right wing of the Tory party to follow her over the top. Because I suspect that this close to an election, actually not many of them will be willing to do that. Well, could he do that? Could he remove the whip from her? I don't see why not. Like, the, the Conservative Party, like, the Labour Party has a rule book. Yeah, yeah. The Liberal Democrats have, you know, party democracy. The Tory Party is basically a dictatorship. It's based <laughs> entirely on the, on, the, on the personal power of the leader. It is about whether he has the personal power to, to do that right now. There is an argument that one of the ways in which he could accrue that power would be to show he holds it. And I just don't really see at this point, what does he lose by doing this? She is just, like, constantly going around fighting the next leadership election, causing him problems. She's immensely unpopular with the public. Her constituency, uh, her political constituency rather than geographical constituency, is a very small sliver of right-wing opinion. It is not clear to me what he gets by keeping her in post. I understand, as appalling as it was, I understand why he, he gave her the post in the first place, because that was what got his leadership campaign over the top. I don't understand what he would lose by sacking her now. And he's certainly going to be called weak by Labour for this, right? I mean, he's going to be called weak by Labour regardless. I think the (laughs) the bigger problem is he is weak. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, you may have seen buildings branded WeWork popping up all over the world. You won't for long. Once valued at $47 billion, the company has this week been forced to file for bankruptcy in the United States. John, is this yet another story about tech bros reinventing something that already exists but just making it worse? Uh, I mean, basically, yeah. Like, like uh, in the same way that there is a certain type of tech bro that spends a lot of time very slowly inventing the bus. <laughs> um, there is an argument that what Adam Newman, uh, the founder of WeWork, basically did here was invent the office. Um, yeah. And somehow, in ways that don't make any sense to anybody, somehow got a tech valuation for, for sublet office space. There is a story on... On, on BBC News kind of outlining uh, by Simon Jack, the business editor, outlining everything that's happened, which says it's more like a parable than a business story. And I think at one point refers to Newman as a Svengali. And I think that's, that's there's something telling there. He feels like these kind of tech bros feel less like business leaders than they do kind of like charismatic cult leaders. It does genuinely sort of remind me of like the rise of the holy man in late antiquity. I did warn you I was going to say this. I did warn you I was going to go there. I, I'm up for going that direction. It's, but Explain it's, how, John. Um, in the, so there's this period towards towards the end of the Roman Empire, or the mm-hmm. Western Roman Empire anyway, where things are getting a bit unstable. There's a lot of economic panic. There's some pandemics. And everyone starts going around looking for meaning. And that's when a whole bunch of new religions arise, the one of which that has survived is Christianity, although Islam kind of comes out the same thing later. But it does kind of feel like there is this sort of similar desire for meaning and leadership at the same time in the financial markets. So people have sometimes latched on to a company not because it actually has underlying value but because the leader is so charismatic and it's just someone you want to invest in. I mean, Adam Newman, who like somehow, WeWork is now worth $50 million. Or, right, he's allegedly. walked, allegedly, he's walked away, I think that's his actual stock market value now, I think. But he's walked away with a billion dollars somehow. And he has still managed to raise more venture capital for his next thing. That is, that, <laughs> how? Like, there's, there, 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 there's like 20 hours of TV documentary about how this man's business didn't work. And yet people are still shoveling money at him because he's so charismatic. And I think, I really think people just want something to believe in. And that's kind of worse in the financial markets because it's not just that people want something to believe in. It's like, well, as an investor, I can see people want something to believe in. So I'm going to fund it so that they put all their money in and then I can cash out before it crashes. It's like, it's not an irrational way to behave necessarily. So a pyramid scheme cult, Gronia. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's Adam Newman, one of these big character CEOs who seems to be able to sell certain investors, any old snake oil by the force of his obnoxious, narcissistic personality. You know, we've seen Sam Bankman-Fried, of course, kind of, you know, come a cropper from that. I think everybody's watching Elon Musk. There's a few of them about. Can you tell us a bit about Adam Newman? Because there's quite a lot of good stuff in the papers. Uh, well, so he said that his company company's worth was based more on energy and spirituality. Right. There you go, a cult. Which I I, 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 I accept. Uh, he used to have tequila in the morning and attended meetings barefoot. And he banned meat from the, the company, but then he was spotted by workers having a burger. <laughs> and I think this, what makes me, I mean, I don't mind the story in that I think we as a society think venture capitalists are those, you know, all those men in the big suits. Oh, they're really smart. They're really clever. They're so fucking stupid. 
if you're investing in a company that's run by a guy who could be played by Jared Leto, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're an idiot. But we think because they're so rich and they tend to be white, middle-aged men, we kind of go, oh, no, 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 they, they've, they've done the numbers. They must know. You know, this guy lost so many people so much money. And this is money they shouldn't have had. They sh- People shouldn't be so rich that they can just gamble millions of pounds because this guy walks into a meeting in a pair of sandals and they're like, ooh, this is exciting. <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, this is a victimless crime. I do not care that he lost all these idiots all this money. Good for him. Good for him. Morons. Nobody should have given that money in the first place. Every time like this comes up and someone goes, oh, well, it's not just venture capitalists, though. It's also your pension. It's like, well, let me tell you, I don't have a pension. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Joke's on you. (laughs) Yay, freelancers. There's a story close to my heart in the sun today. Uh, It's about the new Napoleon movie. Gronya, what's going on? Cinema's back, baby, if you hadn't noticed. (laughs) And I, like most people, are very excited about Ridley Scott's new film starring Joaquin Phoenix about our favourite French emperor slash soldier, Napoleon. But you know who isn't happy? Pissy little bitch. (laughs) Pissy little bitch, Dan Snow. (laughs) Dan's quite a good friend of mine. Hi, Dan. (laughs) Dan needs to bore off and get a life. Yeah, fuck you, Dan. (laughs) I'm so sorry, Dan. He's a really nice guy. Because I hate to tell you, films aren't just narrated podcasts. So basically, he's complaining that this Ridley Scott film isn't historically accurate. And Ridley Scott has responded to this by saying that he needs to get a life. And I agree with Ridley. Right. Well, sorry, Dan. Yeah, looks like looks like the team's coming down on that side. I mean, I've always loved historical movies, accurate or inaccurate. What are our faves? Gronya, what do you love in terms of a historical movie or TV show? Well, one of my favourite historical films is Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. Oh, that's great. And what love Pretty it, inaccurate. It, but it, what it, it's not like it, historical films. They aren't like filmed Wikipedia pages. You know, they're artistic creations. And what I love about it is it's not like this happened, this happened, this happened. It's capturing what it would have been like to be Marie Antoinette. And it sort of reminded us that they were, you know, young people, socialites, rich, massively out of their depth and sort of caught up by history. And I think sometimes we forget that. We sort of see sort of historical figures and they're kind of in our head. They're like really old and really boring and they look like oil paintings. And films like that, that make it really vibrant and they use sort of different, like non-historically correct music and interesting camera cuts. It just makes it much more contemporary and exciting. Mm. John, what about you? What are your historical film faves or TV faves? So I'm really enjoying The Great. Oh, I yeah. love The Great. Which, which, are the, which, which says up front, you know, this is very loosely based on history. <laughs> uh, but but it's, it's, just, it's just so much fun. They're just having so much fun. They are. I mean, I'm all up for having fun in history. You know, people always look to me as a historian for very serious recommendations. And there are some serious historical films I think are wonderful. But my favourite is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> the Adventures of such historical figures as Froude and Socrates. <laughs> <laughs> Which, because Napoleon was in that as well. He is in that as well. Which do you think will be more historically accurate? Bill and Ted or Ridley Scott's Napoleon? Well, I haven't seen Ridley Scott's yet, so I don't know. But I think also probably Ridley Scott doesn't really care. His job as a film director is to tell the best story he can, not to be a documentary maker. 
At Papercuts, we can barely contain ourselves as we shuck open the Daily Star of a morning to see what treasures lie within. Are there any pearls in the papers today, John? So there is a story in the Star about how sudden changes in pressure can cause headaches and joint pain, uh, which is in some ways reassuring because I just thought it was—I just thought it was getting old. <laughs> um, but anyway, the headline is "Thunder the Weather." Oh, nice! Her? Yes. There's also an amazing story about a farmer in the Northern Territory of Australia who is attacked by what the star describes as a psycho crocodile, or as they're also known to biologists, a crocodile. (laughs) Um, uh, but But the farmer saved himself by accidentally biting the croc on the eyelid. Oh. And the crocodile was so surprised by this, he let him go. Anyway, the headline is Crocky Horror. Oh, very nice. <laughs> there's also over in the, the... We don't often go to the, the broadsheets in the headline section, but no. there's one in the Times, which I really love, which I'm not even going to tell you the story because I'll just ruin it. Uh, but the headline is Struggling to Book a Table? Try Buying a Lordship. <laughs> hey, there are simple answers to life's questions. Very good. Just buy a Lordship. That'll sort that out. Gronya, what have you got for us? So in the sun... They have a story about woke moaners want to cancel the image of the CERN Abbas giant. Oh, yes, the one which very famously is well endowed on the hillside. He's a confident man. And the headline (laughs) is Cock and Bull. Hey, very good. The Sun also are covering the story that Nestle is cancelling Caramac. What? It's gone, baby. Oh, it's no. gone. Stuck up. The caramel flavored white. Ch- I mean, I don't. I don't know what flavor caramel is supposed to be. I've just found out for the first is time. It, it's is caramel. It caramel. Yeah, I mean the clues <laughs> in the name. It's either that or a Big Mac, right? But it I mean, just, it's the me, carabit. It just tastes of. There are no other chocolate. That's what caramel <laughs> tastes of. And the headline is sweet misery. Oh. When the news is a bit much for you, and let's be honest, it frequently is a bit much for anyone, you can take refuge in the paper's middle pages. This is the place for gardening tips, fashion trends and faddy new diets to make you feel horrible about yourself. And sex. Lots and lots of sex. Yes, it's the features sections. And today we've got a majestic sweep of stories about, yes, sex and also booze. We're either drinking too much or not enough, John. What is it? It's both, actually. Oh, good. Uh, The Star has a story about what, uh, what is being described here is teen totalers. Teen totalers. Which is uh, a lot of uh, stats about the fact that young people are just not drinking very much. The monsters. So yes, apparently almost a third of under 25s are now teetotal. That's up 5% in just 12 months. Oh. That's one of those results so interesting. To me, it raises questions about the survey design (laughs) rather than social trends. Apparently an overall 13% of adults don't drink. And under 25s increasingly view a night on the tiles as a treat rather than a routine. I think what's going on here, this is actually a, a cost of living crisis story. Yeah, this is, This is, I mean, like I, I paid 15 quid for two drinks last night. Oh. <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, this, this is... Young, Our young. northern listeners are just going to yeah. be really quite <laughs> full of Tom yeah, no. Freuder about that. 
it's, this, this is just young people don't have any bloody money because the economy's failed because the government's fucked everything up is what I think is actually going on here. But there is there is a very different angle uh, over over in Times 2. Page 5, there is the headline, My name is Harriet Walker and I am a binge drinker, mm. which is about some survey data that apparently British women uh, are the world's worst boozers. Or best boozers. Uh, yeah, I mean, it very much depends how you look at it. Uh, this is according to an OECD survey. More than a quarter of UK women drink more than six drinks in one session at least once a month. Right, so my, the big question I've been left with from these two stories is, what are Gen Z women doing? Are oh. they drinking too much or too little? Schrodinger's alcoholics. And not only are the youngsters not drinking, but they're also not having sex. Could this be the same story? (laughs) Well, you know, you might think so. But in the star, Jilly Cooper has a different take. Jilly Cooper, a.k.a. the woman who invented sex, has said... (laughs) I love her, to be clear. (laughs) ...that young people aren't having sex. She said, this woke thing is awful. You put a hand on somebody's shoulder and you're assaulting them. In the old days, if someone was awful to you, you'd tell them to F off and that would be that. I don't think people are having nearly so much fun. Office romances are wonderful. Heaven, I love them. (laughs) When did Jilly Cooper last work in an office? (laughs) Also, whose shoulder has she been putting her hand on? <laughs> I thought like, there's a lot of backstory here that's not explained. It's the woke, John. Yes. It's just the woke. It's always the woke. I, I always think with these stories that people are just like, well, oh, young people are not having sex anymore. I always feel like there's a silence with me. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I, I agree with Jilly Cooper. I just, when you look back on, so her era, like women who came of age in the 70s and 80s, it just seemed like there's like a filthy sexual undercurrent to everything. Like if you watch episodes of the sitcom The Good Life. Oh my God, they are massive swingers. <laughs> I mean, what is going on? Everything's going on. <laughs> so I think the fact that in the old days, you could not only, you know, have time to be like shagging your gardener, you know, having like intense sexual tension with your next door neighbour, you had an aga. They had kitchens with agas in those days. I mean, imagine. They had room to have dinner parties. So <laughs> Just the fucking boomers got the best of everything, didn't they? <laughs> really uh, did. I mean, like, a, a risk of, like, going down a serious line at this point. It's, I think it's because there is, like, a 15-year period between the invention of the pill and the rise of AIDS. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's, the there is that, years. yeah. And yeah. that is basically the, ni- the, the greater 1970s. Yeah. So, of course, everyone on television then was fucking each other. I mean, why wouldn't you? Although we do have another theory in the paper to say that the reason for no sex might actually be politics. Paper Cuts fave Kate Lister has a fascinating feature in the iPaper today. I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud in a podcast about No Nut November. Gronya, I'm going to make you explain what that is, please. Okay, so No Nut November. Apparently it started as a joke. You can imagine. It's not about nuts, is it? It's not cashews or <laughs> almonds. If you're maybe the people going who are who've got really bad nut allergies, being like, finally representation, then they Google what it is. Don't Google what it is. Grania's going to tell you. So um, it's now become a bizarre annual custom where men give up self pleasure oh. for the month of November. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> They're not allowed to watch box sets for all of November. It's tragic. (laughs) 
<laughs> but there is a political link to this, isn't it, that she brings out? Well, so apparently it's been really taken on by the American extremist group, the Proud Boys. Those chaps. So apparently for the month of November, they're encouraged to be not quite as proud. <laughs> <laughs> As they are for the rest of the 11 months of the year. So they have strict rules with their members. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Guys. (laughs) Guys. (laughs) About only masturbating once a month. And they have to be within one yard of a woman with her consent. Oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) With her consent, we should really underline there, right? Which I just think it's just so bizarre. It's just, I mean, God bless them. The Americans just managed to make everything so unnecessarily weird. <laughs> you know, the, the the Proud Boys initiation right is they have to list a, I can't remember, a certain number of types of breakfast cereal while the other Proud Boys punch them in the chest or something. Everything they do is so intensely homoerotic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they are called the Proud Boys. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, it feels like they're just all, they're all going to have a lot of fun on December the 1st is where this feels like it's going to me. <laughs> well, they have to get their kicks somewhere. And Merry least... Christmas. <laughs> And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to John Ellidge. Thank you very much. And thanks to Gronya Maguire. Thank you. Remember, we're now up five days a week and we would be so thrilled if you could support us so we can keep bringing you a smorgasbord of news and views every weekday. We are a 100% independent outfit, no big media tycoon behind us, and we spend £600 a month on papers alone, fools that we are. So if you could chip in a little to keep Paper Cuts afloat, that'd be tickety-boo. For as little as £3 a month, you can get every episode without adverts. Support us with a little more and you'll get extended episodes with extra material, plus paper cuts, mugs and devastatingly attractive t-shirts. Follow the show notes to back.papercutsshow.com to find out more. Our beloved supporters get a shout-out on the show and here are three now. We'll get one each. I'd just like to say that of all our supporters, my favourite is currently Rachel Buchan, who's going to retain that role until I get another name put in front of me. <laughs> At the top of my list is the iconic Ben Ashton. And my hero today is Peter Curran. I've been Alex von Tunzelman. You've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when Mowgli the cat fell 100 foot down a well and was lost for six days before being found by his best mate, a Springer Spaniel called Daisy. Why didn't we do 50 minutes on that? (laughs) Why was that not the whole show? (laughs) Well, I guess not everything has gone to the dogs after all. See you tomorrow. Papercuts was written and presented by Alex Van Tunzelman with Grania Maguire and John Ellidge. The producer was Liam Tate, assistant producer was Adam Wright, and audio production was by me, Jade Bailey. Music is by Simon Williams, socials by Jess Harpen, design by Jim Parrott, with original art by Modern Toss. The executive producer is Martin Boytosh, managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, and group editor is Andrew Harrison. Papercuts is a Podmasters production.